0: Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hello, everybody. Spaceman Brad. That guy is quickly deteriorating. It's tough. Six years in space is a long time. Uh, Shout out to Zion and Connor for the greatest game of rocket resistors I have ever watched. That was incredible. I, you guys, I feel like you should somehow figure out how to make money with your being in sync that much. I don't know how, but do it. Uh guys, uh a couple years ago, 2 years ago actually, almost exactly 2 years ago, um I got to go to Colorado um with some of my closest friends and coworkers, heyo. Uh and uh spent a couple days up in the mountains, the foothills of the Rockies, um near Colorado Springs. Uh and I love Colorado. It is a beautiful beautiful place. Uh, correction. I love Western Colorado. Eastern Colorado is a wasteland with nothing for me. Have you, have you driven through that? It's, it is a barren, barren place. Uh, but then Western Colorado, the Rockies are beautiful. And so we got to go and hang out up in this like ranch retreat area uh, for a couple days with a bunch of other youth pastors. It was very fun. Um, and while we were there, um, one of the people that I was with, whose name rhymes with Drake Holderman, uh, him and I were talking, uh, and we were saying it would be very fun to go and hike, uh, one of the, like, sort of peaks around us, because where we were staying was, like, right in the thick of, like, forest and mountains, and it was awesome. I like the outdoors enough being you know, doing outdoors things. Love being clean though, so that doesn't work all the time. Uh, but we thought, you know it would be really fun, go hike. And so we decided that's, that's the peak we wanna do, the one over there, up there. Uh, but we did not know how to get up to it. And so we found another guy who did know how to get up to it. And so we made the plan that the next morning, our last morning there, We would get up very early, get our bags all packed and everything like that, and we would uh, try to go up this mountain and be up at the top of it before the sun rose, just because we thought that would be a cool view. And so, you know, we pack our bags, get, uh, you know, try and get a good night's sleep, and so early the next morning... Uh, my alarm, my alarm goes off, my lip gloss is cool, my lip, and I'm hit it, you know, and I, look, okay, I'm ready, and it's still dark outside, which is great, because that's what you want when you want to see the sunrise, uh, so I go downstairs, I get my bag, find the crew, and we begin, um, our journey into the dark forest, uh, to make our way up to this peak, up to this mountain, and so in that moment, I was a hiker, and I was hiking. I felt real. I was like, "Yes, in the mountains, and I've got my backpack on. This is this is it. I was I was I'm in it, and I and I love it. Right? I was I was I was a hiker. I was somebody who goes up and down hills and valleys and, and trails for fun. And I was hiking, which is going up hills and valleys and trails for fun, mostly up. Right? Mostly up. Now you might be saying, Tyler, what's why are you why, what's the distinction there? Why are you talking about hiker and hiking? Why are you trying to make hiking confusing?" And just let it be what it is. And here's why. Here's why. Because I think that, that, that idea of being a hiker, being in the moment, and, being, and, and also being hiking, being on this journey, is also true when it comes to Christianity, to following the way of Jesus. And particularly, it's true when we talk about being transformed, being changed by Jesus. Because here's the reality, that... that when we respond to the call of Jesus on our life, right? We are, we are transformed through his saving work on the cross and in the tomb. We are, in that moment, transformed. And we spend the rest of our life being transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So transformation, when it comes to following Jesus, is simultaneously a moment and a lifetime. It is a single step, a big one, and an entire journey of our life f- uh, fueled by the holy spirit which is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks and nowhere do we really see this power of transformation maybe better than in the life of a guy named Paul but if i can encourage you with this before we even if before we even dive in is that sometimes i think when it comes to following jesus we view transformation just in terms of when we start following him. And so we're like, okay, I'm I'm following Jesus and now everything will change and then the rest is good. And then like two years after we begin to follow Jesus, we're like, wow, I am not who I thought I was going to be. I'm not as patient as I want to be or whatever it is. I'm not as kind, whatever it is. And if I can encourage you with this, it's that Jesus is not done with you. And we see that in Paul's life. It's certainly true in Paul's life. It's certainly true in yours, right? That Jesus is not done with you. Now, in Paul's life, he has a pretty crazy story, and and you might be pretty familiar with Paul. You might not be very familiar with Paul. That's okay, but I want us to be on the same page for when it comes to talking about him, and for us to be on the same page, I figured what better way to learn about Paul than to listen to the way that he introduces himself, to listen to the man himself. So Paul wrote much of our New Testament. So if you don't know, Bible has your Old Testament and New Testament. The New Testament, a lot of it was written by Paul. And so we get a glimpse into who he is in a first person form by him writing letters to all these different churches throughout Greece and Italy and just that Middle East world as a whole. And so one of his more famous letters was written to this church in Rome, Paul's letter to the Romans. And so he starts it off by introducing himself because that's how they wrote letters back then, right? And so, so he, instead of waiting to the very end and says, sincerely, Paul, it starts off by him introducing himself to the people that he had not met. He had never met them in person, you know, only talked to them through Zoom or whatever. So he says this, yeah. He says this to start Romans 1, to start Romans 1. He says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now it's a pretty strong intro, right? Like servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, right? That's like an official representative, a messenger, set apart for the gospel of God. What gospel? The gospel that has been promised beforehand. Like Paul is making some seriously audacious claims, which means he's either super cocky or he is very secure in who he is and what he's been called to do. And I think it's that one. And I think that because when you meet Jesus, when you encounter Jesus like Paul did, you don't really walk away feeling very cocky. You walk away pretty shook and pretty humbled. And we, we thankfully get some, several different stories of when Paul met Jesus. But I want us to look at Acts chapter 22 because that's where, see, that's where Paul tells the story himself. He's on trial in Jerusalem, so, you know, not really the time to tell a bunch of lies because he swore on. I don't know if they swore. There wasn't a Bible to swear on, so who knows. But hopefully he's telling the truth, right? And I think he is. So in Acts chapter 22, he says this. So he starts off his sort of defense, his story, by saying this. "'I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel, famous rabbi, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today.' I persecuted the followers of this way, that's Christianity, that's what it was known as, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So, put another way, Paul was very good at being Jewish and he was very good at being a hater of Christians. He was an evil, terrorizing man towards people that were trying to follow Jesus in this time. He called it the way. That's what it was known as. You go through the books of book of Acts, and Christianity is called that a couple of different times. He's a persecutor, a terrorist to the early church, people that are trying to follow Jesus. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, we read the story of the first person ever killed for their faith in Jesus, a young, brave, courageous man named Stephen. And we're told that Stephen is stoned to death. And we read, the, the, the author of Acts, Luke, puts in this little detail that we can sometimes miss that Saul is there, that Saul is just kind of standing there holding the coats, approving of what he is seeing, Right, and so when we read Saul, when we read Paul, that's the same guy, same person. Saul is his Jewish name; Paul is his Greek name. So Saul, Paul—that's the same person. And it only gets worse from stoning from the stoning of Stephen because Saul continues to hunt Christians, and he's very good at it. Like he—he's a professional Christian hunter. He wants them dead, but he will at least settle for imprisonment. And so we read, and we just saw in verse 5, that one day he's on his way to this town called Damascus. He has a, a list in his hand of Christians, of people that are following Jesus there. When things take a pretty dramatic turn that Paul is not expecting. You probably know the story. Paul describes it like this. He says, About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions then led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So there Paul is on his way to go and try and destroy some Christians when everything changes. He encounters Jesus. He's never going to be the same. He can't see. He's, he's just Everything has changed. And then he says, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. Well, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? get up be baptized and wash your sins away calling on his name so in a moment everything has changed it's inc- it really is genuinely incredible like like he is transformed by the resurrected Jesus to no longer be a killer of christians but to just be a christian himself right only only god can do that and i love and I had never really noticed it until recently. Like, I love that Saul is in no place to where he is, like, looking to follow Jesus, right? Like, he is not, like reading the Bible and, and asking questions about it. He's not like uh, going to like the local Damascus coffee shop with some friends and like trying to read the Bible together. Like he's not, he, a friend didn't invite him to church. Like he is nowhere near beginning to follow Jesus. He couldn't be further because he's trying to destroy Christians and Jesus doesn't care. He just is like, cool, great, boom, off your horse, right? He just doesn't care, Right. Jesus shows up in this brilliant light of glory, kicks him off his horse, makes him fall to the ground, makes him blind. This guy who thought he was just so big time, so powerful, so influential, because he honestly was in that world. Jesus shows up, turns his life upside down, and says, you work for me now. And he's transformed. And there's two things that that I really kind of want us to notice in, in Paul's story of transformation, there's a, bil- a billion things that we could look at. We could talk years about it, and people have and will continue to. But there's, for our purposes, I want us to look at two things. First, I want us to look that, that notice that Jesus' first instructions to Paul, the first thing that he says to Paul is to keep going to Damascus. Right, Like, like Saul says, what am I supposed to do now then, Jesus? I can't see. My horse is gone. These guys don't know what they're experiencing. What am I supposed to do? And Jesus just says, get off the ground, go into the city, and I'll let you know more once, I, once you get there. And if if Saul's like us, he might want to know like, more of a plan. He has a bunch of questions. And Jesus is just like, keep going where you were already headed. And like it's almost like, like the little kid of like, when are we going? Why are we going there? Who do we do? And Jesus is just like, I'll tell you when we get there, okay? Just trust me. Just go. And, and it will be, it'll be okay. Like, I think it's fascinating that Jesus is having him go to the same place where he was just planning on going to kill and try and arrest Christians, right? Like, I would think that Jesus would say, go back to Jerusalem, go find Peter and John. Nope, Jesus says, go to that same place where you were already going to go and trust me. And then this guy named Ananias comes and finds Saul. And if you go look back in Acts chapter nine, you see that Ananias gets a vision from Jesus. Can't imagine how that was. And you get a little glimpse of it, right? But like Ananias getting the vision, like, hey, go find this guy named Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias is like, find who? Uh, the guy that's been killing all me and my friends? The one that wants to arrest me, probably? You want me to go find who? Like, I don't wanna tell you how to do your job, God, but, uh, and, and so he, but he goes, because he's faithful, right? And he's used, Ananias is used by God to go get Saul back on his feet and out into the world for God's kingdom. And I love that Ananias was probably on the list that Paul had. Like, he was probably one of the people that Paul was going to arrest, and, and now he's discipling him. <laughs> God is good. What the heck? That's just funny. That's funny. Right? So, so what's here? Right? Like, what's here for you and I? Saul still goes to Damascus. Right? His destination does not change, but his intention does. His entire reason for living, really, changes. But God, in his wisdom, in his providence, redirects Saul's intelligence and his zeal and his extensive knowledge of Jewish, Greek, and Roman culture to no longer be for whatever he was going to use it for, but to now be for the spreading of the good news of Jesus. The location of Saul does not change. The man does. And I think sometimes you and I think that that transform, transformation into looking more like Jesus means that everything in my former life has to look completely different, that whatever is back behind me has to just stay there forever. And, and to be clear, some things do need to change, and change drastically. But, but what if God, without you knowing, has led you to these people, this community, this moment, this situation, to be used now for his kingdom instead of whatever you thought you were going to do in those places and with those people. Right, I mean, God is that good at what he does. If he did it in Paul's life, well, who's to say that he can't do it in yours? Jesus is very good at using what we will give him if we would just let go of that control. And I also want us to see how important and urgent this all is. Where Jesus says to Paul, get up, let's go. This starts now. This doesn't start when you think that you're ready. This doesn't start when you're less busy. This doesn't start once you've got all this stuff over here together. It starts right now. And Ananias says the same thing. When he, he, he echoes Jesus' words, when he says to Paul, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. I think it's a good question. What are you waiting for? what are we waiting for? Right, what is standing in your way of becoming the person that Jesus has created you to be? Right, if we really believe there's no time to waste and there's no better day than the present, then what are we waiting for? C.S. Lewis, who you know, wrote Narnia, wrote a bunch of books. He has one called The Great Divorce and it's an allegory on heaven and hell, so it's a fictional story. And we in it, he tells a story Fictional, so don't read too much into it. He tells the story of this man who desires to be transformed uh, as he stands before this angel creature. But for one reason or another, he is afraid. He is afraid of pain. He's afraid of losing comfort. He's afraid of the change. And so he decides to wait and just maybe try again some other day or something like that. And so talking about his old life, his sin, this this man says to the angel in front of him, he says, and it kind of sounds British, you know, I shall be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than just killing it, just getting rid of it. So the angel says back to him, the gradual process is of no use at all. And so he responds, he's like, don't you think so? Well, I'll think over what you've said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you do it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. In fact, you know, it would, be, it would be most silly to do it now. I'd need to be in good health for the operation, right? Some other day, perhaps. The angel looks at him, he says, there is no other day. All days are present now. So it goes on, this sort of back and forth, excuse, excuse, excuse. So he says, let me me run back by tonight's bus, get an opinion from my own doctor, and I'll come again the first moment that I can, I promise. And the angel looks at him and says, this moment contains all moments. And so this back and forth, it continues until finally the man, just in desperation, is just like, do it. And eventually he lets him and he becomes what he becomes is far greater than than whatever it is that he left behind because we do this, we do this. Right, We find whatever excuse we can to keep God from transforming us, from changing us, because we're afraid of what it might mean for our friends. We're afraid of what we might lose. We're afraid of the control that we would no longer have. And so we just say, maybe another day, man, I don't want to step out and be that person that kind of rubs people the wrong way. I don't really want to change because I think, I, I, I say that I want to stand out, but then when actually when push comes to shove, I do not want to stand out. I do not want people to notice me. And so we just come up with these excuses that keep, Keep God from transforming us because he's not just gonna do something against our will. He wants our permission. He wants to be in on it. And Jesus just says to us, then what are you waiting for? Like he he asks, will you trust me? Because even if it's difficult, the other side of transformation is a beautiful place. And we will continue to reach it as he continues to transform us day after day and degree after degree. Because Jesus is strong enough and he is loving enough to transform you. And he is strong enough and he is loving enough to keep transforming you into who you were created to be. So we don't have to kind of keep trying to play these games and pretending that we are someone we're not. And it's just, it's exhausting Jesus says, hey, let me change you into who I know you were meant to be and then run with that, right? You you follow Paul's life through the scriptures and what happens is that it's not that his life gets worse that it gets deeper and more fulfilling and he and he begins to see himself more and more for who he truly is in light of who jesus is and 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 the spirit calls him to bold thing after bold thing adventure after adventure because he trusts and he initially said yes jesus i will let you transform me and i will let you to continue to transform me and that's what we have in front of us that's what's on the horizon and so we have we have that choice. What are we waiting for? I don't know what it is for you. I could probably guess, but we probably have a lot of the same excuses. And so I hope that you'll share some of that in your small group tonight. Like, man, what have I waited for? What have I led, what have I let rule my life up to this point that I just I, I can let go of now? Because it's just a sham. So we're going to sing and then we'll have small groups. And I just ask that and, and hope that you'll have open ears and hearts to be honest with yourself and with God and with the people in your small group. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the power of transformation. We ask that you would continue to change us day after day. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to be bold. And help us to be urgent. Because you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christchurch, visit us online at cco.church.